0: You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. What I'm going to introduce to you is uh, not, in my mind, it's not uh, something that is wrong or out of order, but it may be new to you. Even those of us that preach the message of the cross, um, this is where I believe the message is going. I believe it's where it needs to go. Uh, And we'll talk about that as we go. So, invariably, there's going to be questions as you go forward. No question in a classroom is a dumb one. Because if you're thinking it, there's probably 200 other people, whether they're here in the sanctuary or watching by Facebook, that are thinking the same thing. So, uh, as a teacher, questions do not uh, threaten me. Um, It's something that really makes uh, teaching... Uh, more prevalent in the way that it needs to be, and the problem that we have with an audience outside of the church and something that is being recorded, uh, if you will, for later time is that we won't always hear your questions. So we have uh, stationed in the sanctuary, we have guys that will be runners, runners, and if they can't get to you with a microphone to ask your question, then you ask it and I'll repeat it so that the people outside of here can hear it. So if you're way in the back and you're asking questions, um, you might, if you're a question asker, as we go through this, uh, it may be better for you to sit up front. So I tease you about the anointing being in the front, kind of. You know, I see the front row is safe so I can spit, so I'm good. Um, but we're, we're here this morning To study the law of Christ. And for most of you, that's a term that you haven't heard. That's because the the phrase itself is only given once by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 and 2. Uh, And so you can open up your Bibles there, Galatians 6 and 2. And there's a similar phrase. It is not the exact same one in the Greek. There's a similar phrase in 1 Corinthians 9. And verses twenty or nineteen through twenty-three, and we'll study that passage today too. Our setup this morning is very, very simple. We're going to be uh, teaching and preaching this subject, the law of Christ, introducing it to you um, for the first forty-five minutes to an hour, uh, and then we will take a break over in the over in the um, fellowship hall. I saw boxes and boxes. Of donuts. So um, I don't know what else they've got over there, but uh, when I break, I probably will race out the door and beat you there. But when we break, we'll break for five or ten minutes. It's got to be quick. It's a restroom break. Sitting too long doesn't allow us to grasp a hold or keep keep our minds active. So we'll take a break and then we'll come back uh, after the break, whatever time that is, and we will uh, finish up by 12. Now this subject, I won't be able to exhaust it by 12 o'clock, I promise you. it's The more that I study it, the more I look at it, the more it begins to open up. And it's something, like I said, that needs to be added. So we're going to go as far as we can today uh, with this particular subject, the Law of Christ. And then we will um, attend to some other things that I'll talk about tonight and tomorrow that will tie this all together. This weekend, I have... Uh, I've I've sought the Lord for every service that I do all summer, but I've been very excited to do this with you this morning, because I think this church is ready for it, and I think that the body of Christ needs it. Amen? Amen? All right, very good. Open your Bibles then, if you would, Galatians 6 and 2. Just one verse, and we'll start, and then we'll pray. Galatians 6 and 2. And that verse is written by the Apostle Paul. And there the Apostle Paul says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill, you see it? So fulfill, what? The law of Christ. And so it's here that we take the text um, keep your finger in Galatians 6 and 2, we're coming back to it. But go back to 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. And uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Now the term here in the Greek is not the same. And I will speak some of the terms as we go through this probably in the Greek, not to confuse you, but just to show you that they are different Writings in the Greek, however, translated um, a variety of ways. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Paul or, Paul says in verse 19, For though I be free from all men. Now, take note that this is Paul saying, I'm free from religion, I'm free from the Mosaic law, I'm free from dominion of what anyone else thinks of me. I'm free. I have liberty. See, the subject of liberty is broached. Yet have I made myself servant unto all. Isn't that Christianity? To be a servant? That I might gain the more. So he's talking about his liberty to be what he needs to be so that he can talk to people about Christ. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, and there were proselytes as well as Jews that were under the Mosaic law, and that's what he's speaking about, as under the law, why, Paul? That I might gain them that are under the law. Then he says, to them that are without law, and this would be the whole world of Gentiles, they don't have the Mosaic law, as without law. And then he says this, and here's where we look at our clauses, our phrases, Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. And that terminology, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, is where we find the second use of the idea of Christ's law, or law of Christ, or law to Christ. And we'll talk about it. That I might gain them that are without the law. Verse 22, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might be by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sakes that I might be partaker thereof with you. These are the two passages that deal with the term the law of Christ. The clear, concise Greek ha namas to Christo is in Galatians 6 and 2. So we're going to go back there. And today we're going to talk about what is it. If Paul says he's under it, then maybe we ought to figure out what it is. If Paul says he's responsible to Christ's law, then we need to look at what it might be. Because if Paul feels that he's not responsible to other men, he doesn't have to be what other men say he has to be. He's free from that. He's free from religion. He's free from the Mosaic law. But yet he is bound to a high moral ethic. He's not without uh, responsibility. It's not what most people think that it should be. Paul's not in subjection to a denominational structure or law. He says, I'm, not, I'm free from that. Thank God. And when I'm with Jews, I don't pretend to be a Jew, I don't get all dressed up and do what they do, but because I know what they believe, I'm careful not to violate, you know, I'm not going to, even though I'm free, when I'm ministering to Jews, I'm going to leave my ham sandwich at home. John Rosenstern, who is a physical Jew, always makes the joke, what's the greatest Jewish dilemma? Free ham. So when I'm with a Jew, I'm not, I know what they're like. It would be like me being asked to go minister to a Church of Christ congregation and insisting that I play the piano and guitar for my ministry. Well, they don't believe in instruments. So if they give me the opportunity to do what I'm doing this morning, I'm just going there and do what I do this morning. I'm not going to insist on my liberty, you see. So he doesn't violate. And then he says, if those that think that the Mosaic law is still the covenant they're under... I'll sit down with them. I know what they're thinking. I'm not going to violate my own conscience, but at the same time, I'm not going to push what I know about my freedom upon them so that I might have the opportunity to introduce them to Christ. If I can get them to Christ, then we can introduce them to freedom. He says, when I go to the Gentiles, I'm not worried about what I eat. But it's interesting that he says, I'm I'm not going to be outlaw to God, but I am inlawed to Christ. I'm subject to Christ. So Christ's law is all about what, in the mind of Paul, what it means to be subject as a believer to Christ. I'm not subject. To religion, I'm not subject to the Mosaic Law. I'm not subject or responsible to uh, people that don't know anything about God. But I, yet I am. Even though I'm free, I am willingly subject to Christ. Are are you getting it? I'm in law to Christ. I'm, I'm I'm married. I'm united. I'm joined to Christ, and thereby I'm responsible. To become what Christ said I was to become. And it's not, Christ's law is not just about a moral ethic, even though it is highly ethical. What do we do? How do we live? What can we do? What don't we do? It's also about how a person has a relationship with Christ. How that relationship is carried out. If there's a strong moral ethic that God commands you up, New Covenant theology says, Be ye holy, as I am holy. How are you doing on that one? Come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, interestingly, those statements were spoken in a New Covenant setting, but they were first spoken under the law of Moses. So am I under the law of Moses? No, you're not. You're freed from the law of Moses. We'll talk about that. But because it's said by the voices of Christ after he left the apostles and written in Scripture, guess what? Be ye holy and come out from among them is new covenant responsibility. It falls under your relationship with Christ. You see it. But your relationship with Christ, as we found in the message of the cross, is not a list of do's and don'ts. It also includes the power source. Because if you know what you're supposed to become, and you know what God's Word says to the new covenant believer, you know what you're ethically, morally bound to, The problem of it is, even in the new covenant, you and yourself do not have the power to accomplish it. So Christ's law is not just the listing of the higher moral ethic, the highest moral code, which was given to us by Christ as he examples the highest revelation of God's holiness that you ever saw. And now I'm bound to him. But he also, under the umbrella of Christ's law, provides us with a way by which we are to perform the highest moral ethic. He doesn't leave us powerless. So Christ's law is the ethic, and and, and then the greatest motivator is included as well. Love is the greatest motivator that you can have. When you love somebody, don't look at it right now, guys, but, I mean, when you really love her, it doesn't matter what it takes, because love is a great motivator. You'll do what you can, but the problem is that love that you have is limited in its scope. Oh, yeah. Your love is extended until dinner isn't what you want. Your gift, and incidentally, that's my little jar, not me, that, your gift uh, didn't do for you. Your treasure didn't do for you. And that's the inside joke. Some of you get it. And so you're, uh, see, that's, that's humanity. You don't have the power to love like Christ loved even after being born again filled with the Holy Ghost, you don't have the power source, but you have access to the power source. You can become that if you understand the precept of Christ's law. So love is a motivator, but love in itself is not a power source because love has to be built into you by the power source. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So the power source has to be, whoo, you're getting me confused already. You have to know let, let me let me let me just simplify everything I just said. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. My good friend Curtis Hutchinson, when he learned the message of the cross, and he's one of those preachers that is stronger than anybody I know that says we must preach the cross. Any preaching outside of the cross is just not worth hearing. And I stand with Curtis. But he said when I was in, first a Christian, they told me what to do. Moral ethic. Responsibility. How I should perform. But no one told me how to do the what to do. They just said do it. If you really love God, and you know what? Every born-again believer loves God. It's part of the new covenant equation. It's part of regeneration. A new creation loves Christ. But that motivation is not strong enough without the power source. So there are three great laws that I'm teaching this weekend that all really fall under the umbrella of the new covenant, but they are Christ's law. It's not just what to do, but it's also how to do the what to do. Last night we talked about the law of faith, and everything is built on that foundation. That's why I preached it. Some of you probably got bored, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry, because you needed to be reinforced in the foundation of faith in Christ and Him crucified. That's the foundation. Then you have to understand the power source, which is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the second great law, and we're going to talk about that tonight and a little bit today. But if we understand the law of faith, and it's our foundation, and we understand the power source of Christianity, then we also have to take a look at Christ's law, which is the umbrella statement that covers both our ethic and how we arrive at it, both our our living holy, and how we arrive at it. Amen? So I'm telling you, as a message of the cross preacher, that just knowing the message of the cross is important, but it should take us somewhere. It should produce something. And the high moral ethic preached by Christ, exhibited by Christ and his apostles, is impossible for us to achieve on our own. We're motivated by love to do it for God and do it for others, but our love is incomplete unless we know the power source that provides us with the fruit of the spirit of love and brings us there. So all that, are are you following me a little bit? So the law, of the law of Christ is this huge umbrella, and underneath it sits all the principles and ethics and processes of being a Christian. It is Christ's law. You are under Christ's law. You have to be responsible to Christ's law. Amen? Amen? Okay, I told you you'd be thinking, that's good. I hope you're not sleeping, but let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we pray that you would guide us now so that we can make these statements simple and help people into understanding what it is that needs to be embraced by the believer. Give us wisdom and let us have the leading and the guiding of the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray it, amen and amen. Bear ye one another's burdens. Let's deal, first of all, with the passage in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 6, he says, bear ye one another's burdens. Those burdens, the word itself is a heavy, oppressive weight that one can't bear up under. It, It can be an emotional weight, it could be a physical weight, but it is so strong that it beats the person down, and they find themselves, as a result of their circumstances and their situation, find it impossible to rise up off the ground. The best example of this is Christ himself, after he was arrested and, of course, went on trial and was beaten, flogged within an inch of his life, if you will. He was told to take the cross beam, not the entire cross, but the cross beam, that was the Roman process, put it on his shoulders and carry it up the hill to Golgotha. That was a heavy oppressive burden. His physical body was so depleted and his spirit man so hit hard by the powers of darkness. I mean, this was the night he prayed so hard that great drops of sweat like blood dropped from his head. So the spiritual strain and the physical strain was so big that by the time it came to walk up towards this place called Calvary to walk through the streets, the weight of that crossbeam was so strong that it just put him down. And so the Roman soldiers grabbed Simon of Cyrene and said, okay, you pick up that cross for him. You you pick it up. And walk with him so that we can get him to the place of crucifixion. Now that's a great example because when we talk about bearing one another's burdens, the one thing that we can never do, even though at times we might want to, especially for people we love, We can't take their place. You can't live out this life for them. So if life has dealt them a blow, whether it's physical or spiritual, you you can't take their place. You're going to have times when you're going to need some help. So what we can do is bear ye one another. We can come along our fellow Christian. Okay, I've got to stop here for just a second and remind you, you can't be a Christian all by yourself. There's a mutual experience going on here in Christendom. And you're to share your mutual experience with other people. It's not just you're for and no more. It's all of us. And so Paul says, you one another's burdens. Come up underneath someone who is being, has been oppressed. Now, literary content is very important in a passage. And in the passage of Galatians 6, anybody know what we're talking about? That might help us understand the other believers' heavy oppressive weight? Anybody know? You know, you just, you just... Well, I'll tell you, a failure. Galatians 6 and 1, ye that are spiritual, restore. If someone is exposed, or even if they're not exposed, you know they're overtaken in a moral failure. You which are spiritual, we don't throw people away. We understand what I preached last night, that the law of faith justifies someone. So when I know of a person who's been justified and failure has been exposed or is destroying their walk with God or destroying their faith, I don't throw them away. I bring them back to the condition that they need to be in so that they can experience and exhibit Christianity. We don't throw people away. And the greatest hurt to the born-again, regenerated believer who really loves God, who is letting the Spirit of God mold and shape them, is failure. Okay, I, I know you, you don't know that because you've never failed. But, um, and I have read about it, of course. But the impact of the failure can be a heavy, oppressive burden Remember uh, the story in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where there's a man in the church who is living with his mom, probably his stepmom, but we don't know that. It might be his mom. And the church would say, oh, the grace of God covers it. The grace of God covers it. They were living together as man and wife, mom or stepmom. And this was the son, and he was a leader in the church. And the church was, oh, the grace of God covers it. The grace of God covers it. Paul said, no way. Ain't going to happen. Not right. Even the Gentiles know that that's not right. Isn't it funny that we in the church sometimes try to get away with things that even the world knows ain't right? Amen. I'm preaching better than you. Amen. And now. Right? And so... He says, here's what you do when that person refuses to repent, then you separate from them. You go to them, you beg them, you tell them, this isn't right, you got to change this, this is wrong. You can't just say the grace of God covers it. We need you to leave this. You can't just live with somebody, it's not the Bible way. Well, they're my common law. Why in the world won't you go down to a judge and make it legal? What's wrong with that? Well, I don't It's your appearance. Avoid all appearance of evil. The Bible says that's enough. Figure it out. We get married. We don't live together. Amen. But if that living together was wrong, then you separate. If they refuse to separate, then you have to separate from those people until there's repentance. Well, how do I know if they really repent? You don't, but you have to take their word for it. You mean I have to take their word for it? Yeah, Christ said if somebody sins against you seven times a day, Oh, Brother Lauren, can I see what's in your wallet? No, come on, I won't take anything out of it. Okay, and I give them my wallet and they take everything out of it and go down the store, spend all my money, rip off my credit cards and build my debt up and then come back and say, I'm sorry, and an hour later say, can I have your wallet? <laughs> Seven times in one day? Well, if I'm stupid enough to give him the wallet the second time and the third time up to the seventh time, I guess I deserve it. But if he was to offend me seven times in one day, I don't have a choice but to forgive. Because Christ has taken all my stupidity and all my wrong action and has forgiven me. And I have to extend to others what Christ has extended to me. No choice. But the issue in 1 Corinthians is then seemingly resolved in 2 Corinthians when the man comes back and says, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing. And he separates from the relationship of living with his mom or stepmom. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that you must restore, you must love, you must confirm your fellowship once again with him, lest he be swallowed up with overwhelming sorrow. You remember that? Overwhelming sorrow from failure is an excessive, heavy burden that's too hard to bear. We are told when people fail, that we are to come underneath them to help them take that cross that has the result of whatever they did. I can't take their place. They're going to have to die to sin. They're going to have to die to self. They're traveling towards a place where they're going to die. I can't die for them. But I can take the cross beam for them and help them to the place where they can die to self so Christ in them can live. You see it? So restoration is not an acceptance of evil, it's getting that person to where they can become an active participant in the revelations of Christ in the new covenant where we help each other, we get through this, bear ye one another's burdens. Now, once again, content is very important in Scripture. There are no chapters and verses in Paul's original letter. And if we back up a little bit before uh, this exercise on how we treat people that fail in Galatians 6 and 1, we get to the information from Paul that says how not to fail. Did you know Paul told us that? How not to fail. Are you okay? You all right here? Are we good? Okay. So he said how not to fail. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. No, let's go verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall what? Not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All right, guess what? Every single person in here who's a Christian, you are dealing with on a daily basis the lust of the flesh. Oh, brother Larson, not me. Well, there you go. See, you're lying. <laughs> and that's an expression of self-protection. You're trying to. Pre- so we all deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Knowing the message of the cross does not eliminate this part of your Christian experience. So, don't be surprised when your own flesh rises up or the world pulls at you or the devil tries to get you off track. Welcome to Christianity. But here we're told that if we walk in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So then we have to ask the question what's the natural question? I'm sorry? exactly how do we do the what to do well the bible here says that we are to walk in the spirit well paul is that just something you started talking about guess what the whole content of galatians is about what it means to walk in the spirit and walking in the spirit is not doing righteous things it's how you approach your relationship with christ By faith, the law of faith. And when you place your faith in Christ and Him crucified, you experience the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which represents the power source that takes things out and puts things in. Right? So the law of faith means that I'm trusting in Christ and Him crucified. I recognize that the source of change in me has to be the Holy Spirit, and I'm resting and trusting in him, therefore I am walking after or walking in the sphere of where the Spirit works. I'm walking in the Spirit. So if I walk in the Spirit, guess what I won't do? I have the highest potential of not failing when the world and the flesh and the devil pull at me. Am I boring you? You okay? You all right? All right, so Paul has been teaching this, and he says, Look, if you walk after the flesh, we're going to see this, but if you walk after the Spirit, we're going to see this. Okay? So now we have walking after the Spirit, the how to, which involves the law of faith, what you place your faith in. Remember always that what you place your faith in is a moral choice, it's part of the ethic of God. Under the new covenant, he he said, you got to accept my son. you got to understand what he did. So if I'm walking in the Spirit, guess what? I won't see those failures like I would if I was walking after the flesh, trying to live for God in my own strength, in my own ability. Well, why does Paul bring this up? Well, let's travel back again to chapter 5 and verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Chapter 5, verse 13. Brethren, I've, you've been called unto liberty. Now, now we've gone from the responsibility of restoring people and we've traced back this conversation all the way to Paul saying you have liberty. Once again, the, con- the, the concepts and the content of Galatians is you have people trying to teach believers you're responsible for the law of Moses, and, and Paul says, You're at liberty. You are free. You're free. Not, you're, not, you're not bound to the law. I said it last night, and some of you went, Woohoo! Ten Commandments, not by covenant. The Ten Commandments was, in its day, the highest revelation of the nature and character of God relative to morals that you could get. But there's been a higher revelation of God's character and nature given to us in the person of his Son. So I'm not bound to that. I'm free from that. I'm at liberty from that. But yet I'm bound to his Son. I'm bound to be connected to his son in the way that he said I was to be connected. I'm to live this Christian experience under the new covenant, not under the old way. Jeremiah, when he promised a new covenant, said it's not going to be anything like the old. So now I'm in the new, and yet I still have to be responsible to the high moral ethic of Christ but yet I'm in liberty. I'm not bound to religion. I'm not bound to men. I'm not bound to denominations. I'm not bound to the Mosaic law, but I am in law, bound to Christ. Do you see it? I'm bound to Christ. I'm responsible to Christ. I'm in him, and he's my head. I have to answer to him. I'm subject to Christ. Therefore, I'm subject to the law of Christ, even though I'm in liberty. Now, what does that liberty do for us? Verse 13, for brethren, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Okay, so now I'm not under the law of Moses, I'm not under the law of man, but I am subject to Christ. And I'm called in Galatians 6 and 2 to fulfill christ's law fulfill the law of christ so now what what how how do i define that how do i how do i look at that how do i move beyond liberty and I, i i don't i can't just do anything that i want to but now watch this by what or it's not rocket science it's just there in the text but by what what but by what Love. I said to you earlier, love is your motivator. Love is the great motivation. When you come to Christ, loving God becomes natural to you. Wherever you got saved, you became a new creation. Your spirit and your soul was recreated. Before you got saved, if you were a part of this church and mom and dad made you come, you might be here this morning and mom and dad made you come. Good for mom and dad. But um, in your heart, you thought, man, I'd rather be out fishing. Okay, I see the poles and bobbers in people's brains right now. I see them. <laughs> I'd rather be out hunting. I'd rather be out horseback riding. I'd rather be out on my Harley, whatever. Because you loved that. Nothing wrong with a Harley, right, brother? Yeah, that's right. You loved that. When you love something, it's not difficult to commit to it. She walked in the room and you went, oh. You found out where she was and her daily routines, and you just happened to be there. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were here, liar. <laughs> but the motivation of love drew you to follow i mean you almost became a soulish stalker you just found out about her and you knew where she was and you just happened to show up oh you again she's thinking hmm Uh, ladies we're not very smart you know so just put up with us you are our gifts and you are our treasure just clarifying but (laughs) <laughs> love is a great motivator. It makes you act like a fool. But love in the human being only goes so far. I think that being a parent, I understand the love of God more. You know, raising four children, I I. I can't tell you the love that I have for all of my children and you some of you have had the privilege of knowing all four. Joy in Florida, and now Rachel in Florida, Joseph and Grace. And um you always think that when they move out, well your responsibility as a parent is over. That was my job. And And I've noticed that it's not over. In fact, it's become more expensive. <laughs> but you know what? When my children are in trouble, and they say, Dad, I don't know how I'm going to, and they tell me what it is, and especially if it's just money, and I have it, Hannah and I have it, or we have access to it, or I can lay my grubby little hand on it, and. hand, hand, hand. If I can get to it, it is my joy to go ah, buy that car, Shh, pay that bill. But, Dad, we can take it, please. Why? Because I love them. I want the best for them. Your heavenly Father is like that with you. He's got everything that we need. But I found at times the girls are, are probably easier. The guy, though, is a little. No, nah, Dad, I'll figure it out myself. Take it or I'll strangle you because I love you. Here, here's the answer. Pay the bill. Good. Take it. And the frustration that I feel when I love and I express that and they won't take it is like, are you kidding me, dude? But the motivator is love. So love is the great motivator, but love is not the power source. Because I don't love as I should yet. Oh, I love my kids because they're my kids. But do I love you like I love my kids? If it's between... Pastor Steve and Joseph going out getting crucified. Pastor, get ready for the nails. <laughs> if I have to make the choice, because, that, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't love like Christ loved yet. So and, and the Bible teaches us that God himself teaches us to love. You loved God when you came to him, but yet there were other things that drew you at times, and love was not enough. You knew what to do, and you had some desire to carry it out, but love is not the power source. Love is the result of walking after The Spirit. So if you want love to increase, you have to go to the power source. And the power source is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works based on the law of faith. So if you need more love for the people around you, and you hear this call to love one another and bear one another's burdens, you have to live under the law of Christ, which means I operate by the law of faith. I operate by receiving what I need that I don't have in my spirit, by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and maybe then, just maybe, this love that I'm responsible to display can rise up within me and be displayed. Do you see the context now? Am I confusing? Are you, are you with me? Yeah? No? <laughs> it means you don't care. So Christ's law is not just the law of love. But how do we get to that? How do we arrive at that place to love? So Paul says, verse 13 again, Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So if there's someone who has failed and you're not willing to get up underneath that heavy burden and stand with them, then the law of faith and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has not yet provided you with the love that you need to do that. And under the law of Christ, I have to go back to the table. Now, when I, when I see the areas of ethic or morality, right living, holiness that I'm not, that I don't have... Um, And that happens the more that I study the subject. I keep seeing areas where I'm just not as good as Jesus was at. See, I have to know what to do. And my answer, and I've applied it, thanks to the message of the cross, is to say, Lord, I can't. You can help. I humble myself, and I say, Lord, my faith is in you and what you have done. But you have not yet, through the Spirit, developed that height of love in me that I'm required to display. Now do you see how the law of faith... The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus ties to the ethic that you and I are required to perform, the the way we're supposed to live. Are you seeing it? It, it, So if someone comes along and says, do this, you should want to do it. It's not that you don't want to do it. You don't have the power to do it. And when you realize you don't have the power to be what you're supposed to be as a Christian, you can't drum it up. You can't fast it up. You can't. Make yourself what you're not. You have to be made into it by the power of God. So that's why the message of the cross ties to the high moral ethic. And Christ's law is not just the law of ethic, and it's not just the morality, even though it includes it. It's not just the law of love, even though it includes it. It's also the moral choice of what to believe and what to depend on and the ability that you have today to see where you're lacking in Christ's likeness and not trying to produce it yourself. Now the greatest law, again, is always, the greatest motivator is always the laws of love. Your love for God and your love for other people. But Christ's law is whatever Christ said. So when you start, Matt, walking again through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where you find the Sermon on the Mount, the moral ethic of Christ, you kind of go, whew, help me, Jesus. And I, as a preacher, have to tell you what that high moral ethic is. Preachers should stand in pulpits and say, you need to love one another, and you need to love God supremely, but if all we preach is the ethic and the morale that is supposed to be exhibited in your life, and I don't preach the how to do, the what to do, then I'm leaving you helpless, and I'm preaching religion to you. If I tell you it's love, 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 that's good, because love is the motivator. But you ain't got enough of it, and love is not the power source. The Spirit is the power source that produces the love, and the only way for the Spirit to produce the love that you need is for you to have your faith in Christ and what he's done. Okay? So the message of the cross does not leave you without a moral ethic. It didn't leave Paul without a moral ethic. Do you understand what I mean by that when I say moral ethic? The the righteousness and holiness that God asks of us is still there. Justification that I preached last night, the law of faith, also keeps you aligned with God while you're getting this straight. And none of us got it straight yet. We're all a work in progress, but justification allows God to keep working in us. Even when we bite off a big piece of... Stupid. Yeah. And even when we discover what we're not. One other thought real quick with Galatians 6 and 2. Are you you following this thought? Does it make sense to you? All right. So Galatians 6 and 2, um, verse 14 of Galatians 5, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you put the other people in your church ahead of yourself? Oh. Well, then you better learn how to do the what to do and ask God to help you and get a little closer each day by what the message of the cross can bring you. Oh, I know the message of the cross. Oh, I know the message of the cross. Oh, I know the message of the cross. Yeah, the message of the cross places you under the banner of Christ's law, which is not just what to do, but how to do the what to do. See, we've stopped in some cases at just the theology of the message. Now I'm bringing you into accountability to what the message produces. And Christ's law, my being subject to Christ, means that I commit myself to the processes of Christianity and what it produces. And I keep saying it. If you preach what we should be without telling us how to get there, you just preach religion to people and you give them pastors the impossible task of becoming something on their own that they can't become. Bear ye one another's Burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I, I'm searching for a better illustration, but I said it last night. I'll say it again, then we'll take a break. Fulfill. It means to complete something, to bring something to perfection to stack it up and cram it full. The old covenant gave us a form. And if you've ever done any building or you've poured cement or you've built a sidewalk or you've built a foundation around the home, the first thing that you did was you took the wood needed and the stobs, and you created a form that had the right level that you needed, and it was the perfect outlay of what you wanted to build. It wasn't what you wanted, but it was the form, right? And on the day that you were going to have the concrete come in and the truck came in or you used the wheelbarrow, however you got it there, either the truck or yourself, on a mixer, you took all the cement and you poured the cement into the form. When the cement goes into the form, it fills it up to the form, and then you scrape it off the top, and you have the guys come along with trowels, or it depends on how big the cement work is, and you level it all off, and you make it smooth as can be. And then you step back, and you wait till it cures. And after a while when it cures, guess what? You get rid of the form. You tear down the stobs and tear up the stobs and get the wood off. And there is what you were really looking for. That pad of cement or that foundation. That's what you were looking for. The old covenant gave us the form of morality. But Christ came and full Filled, completed the form. Poured himself into the form. So when we are in Christ and we're being poured into this form that is the gospel, this form establishes the need for the old covenant, but the old covenant isn't what we're trying to produce. We've been trying to fulfill the form. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the form. And then we tear off the form and we tear off the wood and we've got a foundation to stand on. Bear ye one another's burdens... And thus fulfill, take that issue, that situation, and bring it to the height of what God wants it to become. Bring yourself to that place where God is no longer just exhibiting a form, but through Christ and your faith in him is filling up that form to where the foundation you're now standing on is having enough love to bear one another's burdens, Fulfill what? The law of Christ. How to do and what to do this wonderful journey of Christianity. And thus fulfill the law, the overwhelming, overarching umbrella of what Christ says we are to become and what we're to look like by the power of the law of faith, by the power of the law of faith of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now the forms are ripped away, and what's left is what God was building, you looking like Christ. You see it? Okay. Uh, it's, uh, my hour is up. Questions? Anybody, thoughts? You've been kind of quiet. I, you know, Are you good? Questions? Open it up for questions. I can see you've got donuts on your mind, so donuts we will go. But uh, any, any questions? So the law of Christ is not just what you do. It's how you do the what to do. And that's what Paul is bound to. Amen? If you were blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail, Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, You can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you, and God bless you and your family.